Good morning, friends. Today's scripture readings come from the book of John. We're going to read John 11, 1 through 7, 20 through 27, and 32 through 44. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God so that God's son can be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was. After two days, he said to the disciples, let's return to Judea again. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Martha replied, I'm sorry, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, Where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, See how much he loved him. But some of them said, He healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you have sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to him, untie him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. God, thank you. Good morning, Ebenezer Church. My name is Rob Lau, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Ebenezer, and I'm delighted to see all of you here today. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've been engaged in a sermon series called The God and the Bleachers, and here's the idea behind The God and the Bleachers. The better we understand God, the better we understand ourselves, for we are made in the image of God. 
So two weeks ago, I had a chance to tell you my story and how most of my life I misunderstood God. Last week, we got a chance to talk about our story and how throughout the course of that, the the understanding of the Creator and the events of creation and what followed, we also misunderstood. And though those were two very different sermons, they brought us to the same point, and it was this. God loves you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. You are the beautiful and beloved children of God, no matter what. That is the first and most important thing that any human being needs to understand. Today, with that notion well in hand, we move on to what I believe is the second most important thing for human beings to understand. We do this by trying to better understand what it means for Jesus Christ to be our Redeemer God with us. And as we jump into these beautiful waters, would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, it is not simply that we ask you to come into this place with us. We need you. We need you more than the very air that we breathe. And so we ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O God, our fortress and our deliverer. In the name of our great Christ we pray. The people of God said, Amen. John chapter 11 begins with Mary and Martha, who are sisters of a man named Lazarus, sending a message to Jesus. And it said, Jesus, the one we all love, is sick. And interestingly, what Jesus decides to do is nothing. He stayed exactly where he was. And his holding pattern wasn't measured in a matter of moments or hours. He waited two days. And once Jesus knew Lazarus was dead, then Jesus finally began his journey towards Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. According to John, it would be the final trip Jesus makes to Jerusalem. And Jesus is on that journey, and and as he's approaching the city of Bethany, Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, she sees him in the distance, and she runs out to him, and she says to him, Jesus... If only you had been here, the one that we love would not have died. There have been moments in my life when I've said the same thing to God. God, where were you? This happened to this person. This happened in our lives. God, where were you? That's what Martha says to Jesus. She said, where were you? Where were you? And Jesus says to Martha, Martha... The one you love is going to live again. And Martha says, I know that he will live again in the last day. Now, I need to call a time out for just a minute. My wife, Andy, is a family practice physician. She's brilliant. She is beautiful. She's accomplished. And today she's in Richmond doing some training. And since she's not here, it's a really good opportunity to talk about her. 
I love her, and she has innumerable fantastic qualities. But in her absence, the fun thing to do would be to talk about one of her character flaws, and it's this. My wife... My wife doesn't like Winnie the Pooh. And the thing, the weird thing is this. Her whole family doesn't like Winnie the Pooh. It's as if the characters of the Hundred Acre Wood launched some assault on their family at some point in the past. All of them fiercely dislike Winnie the Pooh. And so, of course, being the guy that I am, I take every opportunity I can to buy my kids a Winnie the Pooh book, right? And when it's Andy's turn to take them to bed, I say, hey, why don't you ask your mom to read this? <laughs> and, 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 and my favorite character in all of the Winnie the Pooh saga is Eeyore. I love him. That lovable pessimist Eeyore. And, and if, <laughs> if Eeyore is talking, in, inevitably he's going to say these words, it doesn't matter anyway. And now you're asking yourself, why are we talking about Winnie the Pooh this morning? And there's a reason. Because Jesus said to Martha, your brother's going to live again. And Martha responds, I know he'll live in the last day. But in my mind, she responds like she's Eeyore. I know. He'll live again in the last day. Martha treats the resurrection like it's a consolation prize, church. And Jesus hops on this opportunity. He jumps on this misunderstanding. And he looks at this special woman. This special woman who is very much like you and me. Because truthfully, if if we were being honest, many of us have experienced death of people in our lives. And we've asked God, where were you? And when God has talked to us about the resurrection, we have said to God, I know they'll live again on the last day. And Jesus capitalizes on what this woman is going through. And he speaks some of the most important words in the history of the world. Jesus said, Martha, you don't understand. You think that life is about the air in your lungs? You think it's about the blood that courses through your veins? You think life is about the pulse that beats in your chest? Martha, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am life. And the one who believes in me, even if they're dead, they're going to live. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus redefines it. Jesus changes what our definition of being alive is in John chapter 11. It is not about the air in our lungs or the blood in our veins or the pulses in our chest. We so often tend to measure life in this physiological way. They're alive if we have a pulse. We're dead if we don't. Jesus said that's not true. Jesus said the only real way to be alive is to be in relationship with me. And if you're in relationship with me, it doesn't matter what happens to your physical body. You're going to live. This is incredibly important. It's incredibly important. It's incredibly important. And yet, so often, the church of Jesus Christ has misunderstood this idea. A couple weeks ago, I told you about the community of faith in which I was raised. 
a group of people who loved me very much and who loved Jesus very much. But almost every single week, no, that's not true, every single week, every week, every single week, every worship service ended the same way. It ended with an altar call. It ended with a time of invitation for people to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And while I respect those people very much, what I think that tells us about focus is something that we perhaps need to pay attention to. Because what that tells us is that the focus of those beautiful and beloved children of God was on the end of time. What those people wanted to make sure of was that at the end of your life, you got out of hell and went to heaven. And while that's a worthy goal, it can't be our focus. Jesus Christ says, Jesus says, life isn't what happens in our metabolic process. And life doesn't occur at the end, at the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said, life starts today. The resurrection begins right now. And here's the difference, the functional difference. As a pastor, I don't want people to make one decision for Jesus. I want people to make a thousand decisions for Jesus Christ every single day. Yes? Because when we make decisions for Jesus, we make decisions for life. And that life grows and builds inside of us until it overflows and it begins to impact the world around us. Jesus tells us, he redefines life. He tells us it's not about the air in our lungs and the blood in our veins. And we don't have to wait until the end of time to experience it. Jesus said, I'm life. And if you're connected to me, you're alive. And that resurrection starts right here and right now. Jesus redefines life in John chapter 11. And after he's capitalized on this beautiful teaching moment, He continues on. And when he gets into the city of Bethany, he encounters Martha's sister Mary, who comes up to him and says exactly what Martha had said. Where were you? Where were you? And this time around, it's as if, it's as if Jesus' soul becomes overwhelmed. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus looked around and he saw all these broken people experiencing this loss. And the Bible speaks what in some translations is the shortest verse in the Bible, but a powerful one nonetheless. Jesus wept. And after he sheds those holy tears, he gets up, he goes to the tomb, and he says, roll away the stone. And they say, wait a minute. This old boy's been dead for four days, and we live in a desert. My favorite is from the King James Version. Jesus says, roll away the stone. Martha replies, Lord, he stinketh. Isn't that great? Lord, he stinketh. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. So they roll away the stone, and he offers this prayer to God, a beautiful prayer. In which he thanks God for God's eternal presence with Christ and with the world. And then Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says the dead man comes out. Now, 
I've always imagined that when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus comes out of the tomb like this. Right? But did you notice in there that the Bible says that his feet were tied together? So Jesus, he came out like this, right? And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. What Jesus does when he resurrects Lazarus from the dead, this story is not about just the resurrection of Lazarus. This is the story of the resurrection of the entire world, church. Jesus said, life is in me. And if you have me, you have life. It doesn't matter what happens to your physical body. This chapter is really important in John. Because after John chapter 11, which is actually the middle chapter in the Gospel of John, after John chapter 11, the enemies of Jesus see all his power and they realize that they have, they have to put him down. And so they begin in earnest to make plans for the crucifixion. But this story is not just important in the book of John, it's also important for us. Because first of all, it teaches us a new definition of what it means to be alive. But there's something else. There's something I've never really understood about this story. And here it is. If you go back to the beginning of the story, when Jesus gets the note about Lazarus, and he doesn't do anything, one of the things you come to understand is that Jesus knew, he knew all along what he was going to do. Yes? Do you agree with that? Jesus Jesus didn't make it up as he went along. He had a script. He was following. He knew what he was going to do. And he knew what the end result was going to be. He he knew he was going to bring Lazarus out of that tomb. Jesus saw life on the other side of death, church. He saw hope on the other side of everybody's despair. Jesus knew that joy was coming in the morning. And if that's true, if Jesus knew all along what Jesus was going to do, then why? Why, 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 why did Jesus weep? There's only one answer that makes sense. Jesus, Jesus wasn't crying for Lazarus. Jesus knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. Jesus knew the end of the story. Jesus wasn't crying for Lazarus. There's something you should expect from a church. You should expect every single time that you ever come to worship service, whether it's here or somewhere else, you should expect that there is going to be hope because the gospel of Jesus Christ is always about hope. And here's the hope. It's found in the most ironic place you could possibly find it. Our hope today is found in our Savior's tears. Because even though Jesus knew the end of the story, even though he knew life was going to conquer death and hope was going to overcome despair, even though he knew everybody's mourning was going to turn into dancing, he still wept with people around him because they could not see what he could see. The hope is this. Even though Jesus knew the story was going to end with great hope and beauty and joy and life, even though he knew the end of the story, Jesus still took time to weep with people who were weeping. And here's the hope. He still does.
the scripture calls Jesus Christ Emmanuel. He's the God who is with us, the God who journeys with us, the God who is holding our hands. And whether we find ourselves in the deepest, darkest of valleys, surrounded by death, in the midst of our own weeping, even there Christ weeps with us. Sure, he knows what's coming. Sure, he knows it's going to be a a joyous ending, but he still takes time to weep with us in the midst of our tears. And it's not just that. When we're on mountaintops high and life is great and we leap for joy, Jesus leaps with us. That's what it means for him to be Emmanuel. Here's what I think we've got to understand from John chapter 11. Not only does Jesus give us a new definition of life, but then he provides the foundation for an environment in which that life can thrive. Jesus said, no matter where you go in your life, mountains high or valleys low, I'm going to be there. I am Emmanuel. I'm going to walk with you. And before Jesus left the earth, he commissioned a people, a movement, a group of people who would continue that ministry of weeping with those who weep and leaping with those who leap. And he called it the church of Jesus Christ. Said differently, Jesus gave us life and a place where that life could thrive. Perhaps the single most important thing that Jesus Christ did that Emmanuel gave to the earth was a recognition that we have been accepted. It was a truth that we belong. And he gave us a place filled with people who've been brought to life by Christ. A place where we belong. To further illustrate this, I want to show you a picture. Check this out. That's right. 815 didn't do that. I told them, I said, you should have gone, oh, and they didn't. <laughs> this is Miriam. In this picture, she I took this picture earlier this week. She's eating a graham cracker. I can prove it. There's still some right there. Yes? <laughs> she, She's a doll. And tonight at 6 o'clock, I get to do the coolest thing I get to do as a pastor. I get to baptize that little girl. And you might say, well, I don't go to 6 o'clock. Why does that matter for me? That's a good question. Here's why this matters for you. Because next year on Mother's Day, every female who walks in the door of Ebenezer Church... Oh, bring that back up. It's got to stay up for a minute. Every female who walks in the doors of Ebenezer Church on Mother's Day next year is going to get a present. Whether she is a biological mother or not. Next year on Father's Day, every male who walks through the door is going to get a present, whether he is a biological father or not. And some of you are saying, oh, now he's just trying to be politically correct. Well, we don't know each other that well yet. And one of the things I think you will soon find about me is that being politically correct is not something by which I am overly burdened. 
So why does every woman next Mother's Day get a present? Why does every male next Father's Day get a present? Here's why. Because when Miriam comes to the waters of her baptism tonight at 6 o'clock, every woman in this room becomes her mother. And every man in this room becomes her father. She is our little girl. Forever. She belongs to you and me. And no matter what she does in this life, no matter what mistakes she makes or beautiful decisions she inhabits, no matter what happens to that little girl, she has a place where she belongs and it is right here at Ebenezer Church. Yes? And the same thing is true for every one of us. Every one of us. Jesus Christ didn't just give us life. He gave us an environment, I could use the word a family, in which that life can thrive. He gave it to us. The most important thing in the world for human beings to know is that they are loved by God no matter what. And the second most important thing for us to know is that there is a place where we belong. And the place you belong is right here. And that's where I was going to end the sermon. And then something happened this week. And I felt like God would be upset with me if I didn't tell you. Monday morning, I walked into the church office and I uh, had a brief conversation with Vicki Stones, who is our church office manager, and she's awesome. Um, and Vicki said, she, re- she was the one that receives these prayer requests that people fill out each week, and she compiles them and gets them to me and a few other people on our prayer team, and, and we, we really do pray for them. And Vicki said that one of the things she's noticed is that in the last few months, maybe the last few years, there's been an uptick in the number of people in our pews who are requesting prayer for a family member or a close friend who's suffering with substance abuse. It's recently become an epidemic in our society. So I said to Vicki, well, what if, what if we were to start a, a support group for families who are facing this issue? Of substance abuse. So I called Naranon, which is in California. And we began to pray about this, and they sent me some information. And, and, and the biggest challenge that we were facing, and we identified it early in the process, was in order for this thing to be successful, we, we had to have a leader. And we weren't sure who that was going to be. So on Thursday night, the package from Naranon from California got on my desk. Friday mornings, I'm not normally in the office, but I came in this week. And, and when I walked in the office, Vicki was putting down the phone. And she had this far-off look in her eye. And I thought, oh no, what has Mark Montgomery done now? And Vicky said this. She said, I just got off the phone with a woman who called the church 
and asked if we have a support group for people whose family members are involved in substance abuse. And when I said no, she said, I think we should have one. I'd be willing to lead it. Are you kidding me? Here's why I tell that story. One, because I feel like it needed to be told. But two, if the worst sin a human being could commit or the worst misunderstanding we could undertake is the thought that we're not loved, the second most broken thing we can get into our hearts is that we're alone. That's why we offer ministries here like divorce care because when people go through the divorce, they feel alone and it's helpful to be with other people who know what that feels like. That's why we offer grief share because one of the most challenging things about grief is it can make you feel like you're the only person who's ever felt this way. And in grief share, people get to come together and recognize that they're not alone. That's why we offer a cancer support group and that's why really, really soon we're going to offer a support group for family members of people who are suffering with substance abuse. Because... Everybody, everybody, everybody belongs here. You are loved. You are the beautiful and beloved children of God. There's nothing you can do about it. And God takes another step. God then gives us abundant forever life and a place in which to live it. God gives us a place to belong and a people to whom we belong. God gave us each other.